your home of the Pens and the best Pens coverage. WXDX FM Pittsburgh and iHeart Radio Station. Between now and Sunday, Pittsburgh fans are going to talk themselves into being scared to death of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Or as I prefer to call them, a bunch of Jags. The Steelers are favored by seven and one-half points, but Yins are still going to be terrified. That's just how we do. The Jacksonville corners are legit, and the officials respect them too much. Jalen Ramsey is big, he's tough, he might be the best corner in football, and the refs let him get away with a ton. That could be bad news for Antonio Brown. Leonard Fournette is for real. The Jags rookie running back, and there's a big hole right where Ryan Sazier used to be. Blake Bortles can scramble. He can't throw, but he can scramble. So that's what's going to scare you about Jacksonville between now and game time. But it's all a bunch of crap. It's the monster under the bed. It's the boogeyman in the closet. The Steelers are the better team. The better team is at home, and the better team is going to win handily. Let's deal in fact, and not in fanciful fiction. It's not week five, and Blake Bortles will not beat Ben Roethlisberger twice in one year. Ain't gonna happen. Sick again, brought to you by... 84 Lumber, showing you the right way to build since 1956. Uh, The the most worrisome thing is uh, Ramsey versus Brown, because Ramsey could win that matchup, depending on the nature of how the referees call it, if they let Ramsey get physical against A.B. Fournette's a good running back. Losing Shazier has really disrupted that Steeler D against the run and against really anything that the opposing offense chooses to try and do in the middle of the field. Vince Williams, Shazier getting hurt, really exposed Vince Williams. Well, exposed is probably too harsh a term, but has revealed him for what he really is, which is a second fiddle level inside backer. He's playing too much now, too many snaps. He's being asked to do too much now in Shazier's absence. You know what? I've talked myself into being scared. I came up with this stuff as a way to say, oh, it's not that bad, but maybe it really is that bad. I might tease Jacksonville up to to, to 14 and a half. I'd feel good about the Jags plus 14 and a half. Uh, Mariota threw that touchdown pass. Oh, wait, this just in. Belichick told the media he intends to remain with New England. Despite rumor that he was looking to go to the Giants, he does intend to remain with New England. Uh, to the contrary of what was said in that big semi-quasi-not-really expose that ESPN.com published about the Patriots. Uh, Mariota threw that touchdown pass to himself in the wild card game against Kansas City. Uh, We've been making too big of a deal ever since. It's not like Mariota planned to do it. Still, it was a turning point in that game. That and the bad officiating. 
Uh, the LA Rams rested a lot of their starters in Week 17 and lost the wild card game to Atlanta. That gave rise to the old maxim from Steve Young, the former quarterback out in Frisco, who says if you rest your starters, it takes one half of the next game to catch up on the offensive side of the ball. But I think that's BS. The Rams were just a young team, and Atlanta made the Super Bowl just last year. I think that result was just experience on Atlanta's part and inexperience on L.A.'s part uh, kicking in. And I think the Rams will be back. Aaron Donald is uh, just a beast. Uh, The Chiefs, by the way, rested players in Week 17 and came out hot and scored and took an edge against Tennessee, but but blew it. That game ended, like I said, when Travis Kelsey got his concussion. Uh, I like watching uh, the football playoff games. I enjoyed the NFL games over the weekend, even though they really weren't worth enjoying. They were kind of... uh, Kind of sketchy, kind of choppy, kind of just, well, bad football is what they basically were. Uh, and now you've got the national championship collegiate game tonight. And I have no interest because Alabama got a do-over. I'm serious. That do-over crap really bugs me. There's no set way to win the national championship of college football. And Alabama, despite not even making their conference championship game, got put in the national championship playoff because the people on the committee are Alabama fans. And if that sounds stupid, you tell me why they put them in. Because there's no logical reason to have put them in. Let's go to Greg and Butler. Greg, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Yes, sir. Uh, Greg, calling from Butler. Great. You were talking about refs and fat and old and young and uh, more uh, ready to go. But I think the main issue could be the fact that they're not full-time employees of the league. No, the main issue is that they're fat and old. Well, you're right there. If they were I'm young right. and fit and could move and stay with the play, it wouldn't matter if they were part-time, full-time, anytime. But they need to do what soccer does in Europe, which have a maximum age. Uh, you could yeah, ref that, a mandatory I retirement age. This You see these fat... I, I see guys refing National Football League games who were refing them when I was in my 20s. Exactly, and they haven't been spending their entire time studying the rule book. They're studying Wait, bro, the you see, you're not listening, book. and I don't like it when people don't listen, so F off. Uh, it's not about studying the rule book, although some rules did get mangled this weekend. It's about not keeping up with the play and getting the call right the, wrong the first time and have, being exposed on replay time and again, and then you get flustered and you disappear up your own backside. That's what's happening out there. It doesn't take a genius, or in my case, a super genius, to figure out what's going on with the officiating. Get younger, fitter guys with better eyesight out there that still make mistakes, but that have more credibility, and I bet they wouldn't make as many mistakes. Then again, the saturation of replay exposes every single little missed call. It makes these guys look like such buffoons. It's impossible to not look like buffoons when every single call you make is scrutinized on replay again and again by the networks. Never mind by the coaches and their challenges, but by the networks. Remember, it used to be the NFL didn't let the networks expose the mistakes. They would be downplayed and soft-pedaled. But now, I don't know why, but it's open season. I liked it better when I believed in the referees. 
Seriously, I enjoyed the game more when I trusted the referees. Now they stink. Now every big play has that wait a minute, let's see if it counts moment, and it sucks. Football sucks. The ratings are going down the toilet, and this what we're talking about is a much bigger reason than players taking a knee for the anthem. Let's go to Jeremy on 79 North. Jeremy, you're on with Mark. Good afternoon, Mr. Madden. Right. Uh, did you trust the officials, or did you just enjoy the spontaneity and you know the fact that there there could be wrongs? But hey, that's I, I, I wasn't trained to distrust the officials at that point. Fair enough. Hey, um, switching to hockey. In your excellent opinion, has Ian Cole been playing bad enough to be benched in favor of Matt Hunwick, or should Mike Sullivan uh, see the team doctors because he's had his erection for more than four hours? Uh, Mike Mike Sullivan's a hell of a coach who's won two Stanley Cups and who means a lot more to the success of this team than Ian Cole. Okay, so first off, you want to try to make a joke out of Mike Sullivan, you've come to the wrong place. Okay, as far as Ian Cole goes, uh, I would play Ian Cole over Matt Hunwick because I think Matt Hunwick sucks. But I just can't make an issue out of it. I heard the B team today, and this covers for their relative lack of hockey knowledge, and I don't blame them, but they were talking about Ian Cole, you know, and should he play for like 25 minutes. He's the fifth defenseman, maybe the sixth. Does it matter that much? Yeah. Hello? It is small enough that, you know, for me to nitpick or anybody to nitpick. So so, so if you're thing. asking me, would I play Ian Cole over Matt Hunwick? Yes, I definitely would. Do I see it? Is this insane decision that is damaging the Penguins irreparably? No, I do not. And we should always remember, when Ian Cole first came here, what happened? Uh, he was pretty bad. He was a healthy <laughs> scratch for a month, okay? Yep. In St. Louis, before he came here, what happened? He sat. Yeah. He sat. You know why? Yeah. Because he's Ian Cole. He's not Doug Harvey. And people who get outraged over him not playing, and again, I reiterate, I would play him. But right. but it's not like it's the most obvious decision to be made. I heard some Nimrod call the B team. They said, Ian Cole's getting more out of his talent than that Latang is. They should give that Latang a seat in the press box. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. say what you want about Chris Latang, and it's not been a banner year for number 58, but I think he's Absolutely. played better recently. He's done well with the puck pretty much all year. He leads the NHL defenseman in assists so far, and Chris Latang is the quarterback of the number one power play uh, in the National Hockey League. Exactly. Okay. Like I, I love when people. I still get calls. You know what? I've been dumb enough. I've played along with it. What about what about Schultz being out there in the power play instead of Latang? And I say stuff like, "Well, he gets the puck to the net better," because I, I have a lot of respect for Schultz's talents, and I think he is good at a power play. But Chris Latang's better. You know how I know? He's on the number one power play unit in the league. <laughs> you can't top that, and you can't teach that. Four one two three 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 ninety nine thirty nine. Let's get some hockey talk going. Here's something I want to bring up. Lines last night were uh, fourth line was Kuhnhockel, Reeves, and Shane, which has done pretty well. Third line was Gensel between Sherry and Kessel. Simon, Sid, and Sprong played together. You know what else I hate too? That should be Sid and the kids. Version 2. Like, it's so important that lines have a nickname. And, and not only that, 
Sully puts them together and splits them up every five minutes. So let's 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 stop with the nicknames. Sid and the Kids. Sid and the Kids version two. And then we'll have Sid and the Kids version three. I- ignoring that Sid's 30. Well, I guess it's Sid and the Kids anyway. Uh, and then you got Gino between Hornquist and Malkin. Sully's doing what I call creating artificial balance. By splitting the three stars among the lines, he thinks he gets scoring balance. Do you agree with that? I don't, quite frankly. I don't think Gino's going to do much with Hornquist and Haglin. You can split the three stars up. Do you have enough other quality offensive talents to play with them? 1059X. This is Chris Letang of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 1059DX. Uh, earlier, we talked about the Bills Mafia. The Buffalo Bills fans who get drunk in the parking lot and dive through tables and harass and, in some cases, physically assault opposing fans. They've been glorified by the stupid-ass frat boy sports media, which is uh, so sadly pervading a lot of American sports coverage right now. And let me tack onto that, and I'm going to talk about this at great length at the top of the hour. Uh, Sweden lost to Canada in the World Junior Hockey Championship final on uh, Friday night. The captain for Sweden, this 19-year-old kid, got his medal and threw it in the crowd. And I hear people saying, well, he's a competitor. You can't blame him. I can't blame him. He's a brat and he's a jackass, and he should have his nuts booted up his backside by his coach. Just because you want to win doesn't give you the excuse to act like an idiot. And at any rate, once the game's over and you're being handled, you're handed the silver medal, the time for wanting to win has passed. Because you didn't, you can no longer do it. The time has come for humility, composure, and grace. And this jerk had none of the above. So we'll talk about that more a, a bit later. Let's go to Adam and Monhall. Adam, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Great one. It is an honor to speak to you this evening. Right. Uh, so my question is about Le'Veon Bell. Uh, obviously a very big, strong football player, but built like a running back. But I've seen him take hits similar to a uh, fullback or like the bus would take hits, like a much, like a much larger. Well, if he's like the bus, that's the most we could possibly hope for. But he runs so fat, like like an Adrian Peterson almost. What do you think attributes to his ability to do so? I think Le'Veon Bell on a good day. Not every day, but on a good day, I think his vision and timing uh, when he approaches the line of scrimmage, waiting for a hole to open, is better than almost any running back I've ever seen. Usually that tap dancing, that stutter step that he does, usually that is death for a running back. But he just has the vision and timing to make it work. And I think any time any athlete in any sport, in any position, has a unique way of doing things that works... He's going to be all the harder to stop because the other team will not be used to having seen it. So I think it's that vision and that timing that makes Le'Veon Bell both unique and great. Let's go to DJ in the car. DJ, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Double M, thanks for taking my call. What up? I just wanted to uh, get your thoughts on Sullivan spreading out that talent. Um, Hall, uh, you know, like Hagelin just... Great player. I love to watch him play. No, no, he stinks. Can't. He stinks. He's I not just, a great player anymore. 
not any. He's not as good. You're right. You're no, right. No, 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 no. He stinks. Okay, he okay. has two goals. Don't laugh. I'm not laughing. I bet he's not. He has two goals in 44 games. He's not in the slump. Carl Hagel has just, stopped scoring. You're right. You're right. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. That that was the reason for my call. He can't finish. Why is he playing with Gino? Well, that's right. It, it's it, right. it's Sully is attempting to produce balance artificially. But, I mean, yes. Hornquist and Haglin aren't good line mates for Gino. You know, the more I think about it, the more, and I'm a big Hornquist fan. Yeah. And he's invaluable in the power play. And I like him with Sid because he makes Sid play down low. But I really like Sprong with Sid so far. I would have Kessel with Gino, as had been the case so much this year. And I'd have Hornquist as a real good third-line winger. Right. What do you think? But, but, but Sully is predisposed to playing the stars on separate lines. Right. Is that it? We done? That's it, sir. That's okay, it. Okay, well, it. terrific stuff. He said condescendingly and, and really lying. Four one two three 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 ninety nine thirty nine. Up next, hockey talk with Phil Bork, the old two niner. One oh five nine X. This is Ian Cole of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 DX. Joining me now to make it even better hockey talk, he is the two-time Stanley Cup champion. You hear him on Penguins radio broadcast right here on the X. He is the old two-niner, Phil Bork. Uh, Borky, was last night the most exciting game of the year? 6-5 and chance after chance after chance. I bet the coaches didn't like it, but I sure did. Sorry, Mark. One more time on that question. I apologize. Uh, was last night the most exciting game of the year? 6-5 and chance after chance. Absolutely. You had it all. You had you had goaltending at times. You didn't have goaltending at times. Um, you had lead changes back and forth. You had star power galore on the ice, rise to the occasion. Uh, the, the fans, I think, were awesome. They got the penalty shot. Brad Marchand against uh, Matt Murray. Uh, man, it's just a memorable game. For me, it was was one of the best games I've seen at the PPG Paints Arena. The Penguins blew a 3-1 lead, allowed three goals in five minutes. Was that on the team or on Jari? I I hate to pin it on one guy, but Jari didn't exactly cover himself in glory uh, during the aforementioned span. No, when you look at the Pasternak goal, as well as, as much as that was a great individual effort. Uh, that's one that you feel that Tristan Jari should have had, as well as the David Backus goal. A little bit of a screen there, but also you feel like he probably should have had that one. I think he'd admit that, that it wasn't his, his best outing. Uh, but with that being said, I, I didn't think the Penguins were very porous. I didn't think that they really gave up a whole lot. I just think the, the Bruins were opportunistic in that little window that they had where they, they bounced back. I, I was down at ice level, Mark, and I thought they looked dead in the water. Their body language, uh, the look in their eye was of fatigue. They were playing in a back-to-back situation. Uh, I was. They got the Marchand goal off the faceoff, and they just fed off that. How meaningful was it for Matt Murray to get in that game, stop that penalty shot, and win that game? It felt like he needed that, Borky. Yeah, I agree with you, Mark. It, it, it just wasn't going his way. It just he he didn't really have moments uh, recently that you felt like. Oh, this is the Matt Murray of the playoffs, and it seemed like he was searching for his game. And to have that moment last night, the game uh, uh, not only did it mean so much in the standings, but the Penguins coming into this game uh, last night, 
dead last in the Metropolitan Division. That was the obvious part. But, but for him personally to go out and perform like that and, and to get the win uh, against a team that arguably is the hottest team in the National Hockey League in the Boston Bruins, I think it's one that's going to really carry over for him. I think that, that even though there's a big, long break here of five days, the bye week, I think that's that's the type of game that can really carry over from Matt Murray. And uh, I thought the crowd, the pop after the stop on Marshawn's penalty shot, I thought that really lifted Murray. Very rarely do I think a player feeds off a crowd for not only confidence at the moment, but long-term confidence. But that might have been one of those rare moments uh, for Matthew Murray. Yeah, and it wasn't like uh, like a, a building type of energy. It was that moment, that player, uh, the one that you, you hate him in Marshamp, but you also respect the hell out of him because he scored 39 goals last year. He's, he's a heck of a hockey player. And for the time left on the clock, a minute one uh, in a tie game, for him to, to make that save and, and just this kind of combustible energy that was in the arena was, was something special, right? You don't, you don't get it that often for one individual, and to hear the Murray chants that were so reminiscent of all the flurry chants that we've heard over the years, uh, I have goosebumps just talking about it. Sullivan has Malkin, Crosby, and Kessel on different lines right now, which he likes, and in theory, uh, it should help. But what are the pros and cons, given who's skating with those guys on their respective lines? Yeah, balance, number one. And number two, I think it makes the uh, other team's coach defend a little bit differently. It, it kind of gets in the other team's head, I think. Uh, a team that likes to go after matchups, that they don't really know who to go after, depending on who's playing the best. So, uh, you know, it just brings a balance. And I think that the forwards have done a really good job to adjusting to Mike Sullivan's um, love, to, love of switching things up, uh, going off of his gut instincts. Uh, you know, for I think for a lot of us watching, Mark, that we feel like, wow, what's going on here? You, you feel kind of confused, but I don't feel the confusion in that locker room with the players. I think they understand Mike Sullivan. They actually expect it, and I, I've talked to a couple of the players, Mark, that said they actually they welcome it. They know when things are a little bit flatlined and, and they need a little bit of a jump, and, and when Mike Sullivan switches things up, they understand why he's doing it, and, and they're, they're seamless about it. Uh, it's 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 great to have players that are multidimensional that can play different roles, different positions, and and not really skip a beat doing it. I like it in theory, but I got to be honest: the way Haglund's played for the best part of a year, I can't see him being on the line and expecting that line to produce. Same with Dominic Simon, who has a little potential, but he's a young guy out there with Crosby and Sprong. You're exactly right. Yeah, I mean. We're kind of to that point now, Mark, where we can talk about it, where we can we can be patient about it. But I think for guys like Dominic Simone and for Carl Haglund, you got to stop putting the puck in the net. Let's just cut right to the chase. We can sugarcoat it, and we can say, oh, they're getting shots, oh, they're getting chances. That's all well and good. But now we're coming down to the short strokes here, and uh, we really need those guys to start putting the puck in the net, especially if you're going to be playing with Geno and you're going to be playing with Sid, which they both have been over the last few games. It's about time. And, uh, and listen, they, these are good hockey players that, that can score goals. And we wouldn't be asking them to score goals if we didn't think they can. For a guy like Carl Haglund, it, for me, it's a confidence thing with him. They, he's, he's gripping the stick. There's times the puck hits his stick and it just bounces right off because he's, he's just a little wound up a little bit too tight. It's a guy that scored 17 goals in the National Hockey League before. He can put the puck in the net. 
he's got to start doing it. Maybe this break, he can maybe uh, you know reevaluate what he's done so far. Because if he's going to be here, we need him to score, especially if he's going to be up playing with a guy like Gino. Sid has seven points in two games. Uh, what looks better with Sid right now? What's he doing better? And is he all the way back? He's got that explosion back in his first step. Um, he's getting to loose pucks. Uh, he, he's he's spinning off of players and creating offense. Um, a lot of it's it's just him, and uh, you know it's it's Sid and the kids part two with with uh, Simone and with Sprong, and uh, those guys have, have looked good. The other thing, I, I just Sid seems more engaged, and, and watching uh, the the. Uh, the TV side on the monitor while we're broadcasting the game, Mark, I see Sid a lot more engaged with Simon, with Sprong, where when things weren't going well for him, I glance down to the bench and he'd just be kind of in his own thoughts, not engaged with his line mates. So uh, that's one little thing, but for the most part, it's, it's the explosion uh, and, and the puck control that he has down low. His playmaking ability has just been unbelievable in the last two games and, and the way he's been able to find guys and and the play he made to Geno last night with four seconds to go in the second period was one of the greatest passes I've ever seen from any player, and I'm <laughs> including 66 in there, too. Yeah, that was amazing. Like a, a, a no-look backhand with time running out, right on the tape. Nice finish with Geno, but for Sid to get the puck there that quickly, like a, a one-touch off a loose puck, simply phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. And that's, that's, that's what I mean. Like, when things weren't going well for Sid, maybe he makes an extra spin move. But when he's feeling it like he is right now, and, and that's the thing. Sid, you know, there's a lot of whispers, Mark, and saying, what's up with Sid? What's wrong with Sid? And listen, Sid listens to everything. He watches everything. He knows everything that's going on in the league, you know, more than that, probably any other player I've interacted with in the National Hockey League. And he heard people whispering about him just like they have in the past. And he just kind of goes about his own business, works a little bit harder in practice, prepares a little bit better, and next thing you know, he just starts exploding, as you said, seven points in the last two games. We're talking to Phil Bork, the old 2-9er. He's brought to you by Coors Light. Uh, Borky, uh, how has Sprong looked with Sid so far? I, I, it, Sprong's not producing every night, but, but boy, I think he's on the edge, and he had the two goals at Brooklyn. Yeah, and the two goals in Brooklyn were, were, were really good goals. I mean, I know Sid put the first one on the platter on the two-on-one, and he, he just had to bump it in, but there's some players that would have shanked that shot. The other one was a great individual effort where he goes shelf on Halak. Um, and I think his confidence is growing. Uh, and I think by Sid talking to him a lot, allowing him to calm down, get a feel for Sid, Sid to give him little tips like, hey, on this play, go here. But what I've been most impressed with is what everybody was knocking him about was his defensive side of the game, whether it's in the defensive zone coverage or on the back check sorting out the rush. Uh, I have not noticed any flaw in his game at all. Uh, there's been a couple times where he's turned the puck over, but those are young mistakes where you have to get used to the, the speed and the strength of players at the NHL level, and I think he'll make that adjustment. I, I think that Daniel Sprong has matured a lot over the last year, and just hearing some of his interviews and some of his comments, that uh, there seems to be uh, that, that confidence slash little chip on the shoulder, but a little more humility in this tone, Mark, and I think that he's probably had a couple people whisper in his ear over the last year, and I think he's matured a lot. How does Gensel look at center to you, and how much longer do you think that experiment's going to be in play? I'm just going to say okay. I, I, I kind of like him better at a wing, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I like him flying down the wing. Uh, he's looked better as a center in these last couple games than he did earlier when he was at center. 
but just my personal preference is I think he's a better winger. But in the meantime, uh, while Carter Rowney is on the shelf, it's great. Like I said, it's great to have a guy like that that you can plug and play. And uh, It's been pretty seamless this time around. I think it would have been easier to, to go out of their way to keep Gensel at wing if he was producing consistently, but he certainly has not been, has he? No, and I don't know why, because he's had unbelievable chances. He's hit posts. He's missed the net on wide-open nets. Um, I think he's just a little bit frustrated. And again, he's showing he's showing his youth. I mean, uh, that's what happens with young guys. Is they can get in that sweet spot, as he has been in last year, in the regular season and the playoffs. And right now he's in a little bit of a funk. And I, the one thing he can't do is get down on himself or get frustrated. And this is where maybe a guy like Sid could whisper in his ear uh, on the way to get out of it, because... Uh, yeah, he's a guy we desperately count on to score goals, and uh, not only because of his skill set and who he plays with, uh, but what he did last year. He set the bar pretty high for everybody. So, I, you know, maybe a, this week will be good for him, too, because I get sense of frustration in this game. The Penguins' power play is nuts, Sporky. Two for three Crazy. last night, number one in the league. The puck movement is amazing. What are the key elements as you see it? Movement movement by the, the players. I mean, we've seen Sid below the goal line, Sid at the half wall, Sid on the left side, Sid on the right side, Sid in behind the net. Um, but you know who's really become the ice general out there? Is number 81 in your program. He's been unbelievable. He's basically said, give me the puck and I'll set the dominoes in motion. And he really has been the guy that kind of calms everything down. He has ability to buy himself time and space where he goes from the half wall to the goal line, maybe out to the point. Uh, his passing... It's crisp, it's flat, it's on the tape. Uh, and then, you know, when he, when, he se- when he sells that pass and is able to rip that shot, and, and we've seen him just take one little step to the right, as he did last night, just that subtleness that he has in his game has been phenomenal. I think that, uh, you know, having Chris Letang and Justin Schultz back in the lineup has been key for the power play, but um, they've used less of that cross-eye seam pass, and when they have used it, they're 100% about it. It's not a, a 50-50 type of play where sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, I think they've been a lot more decisive in their decision-making come the power play. Where do you weigh in on Ian Cole not playing, whereas Alexiak and Hunwick are getting a game? What are your thoughts on, on that decision by Sullivan? Well, I think when you start getting guys healthy, and Hunwick back in the lineup, and now Schultz back in the lineup, then, and Ian Cole had a tough game against the New York Islanders. He served up a couple pizzas, and um, I think that's the way it's going to be now. And Matt Hunwick had a tough game, uh, I believe it was in Detroit, and he was he was sitting. Uh, so I, I think Mike Sullivan's trying to stir the pot a little bit and get that internal competition, which can be healthy. And so it's going to push uh, everybody. It's going to push Ole Matt. It's going to push Brian Dula. It's going to push Jamie Alexiak. You want to stay in the lineup? you got to perform. And, uh, and listen, Ian Cole's a big boy. Uh, he's been through this before, and he'll be absolutely fine. And uh, I, this can only make Ian Cole a better player. Is the bye week coming at a good time or a bad time? Well, I think it's too long, number one. I think just three days would be fine. Five days is tough, and then you come out of that, that fifth day and you're going to have an afternoon game without a morning skate. So I'm, I'm concerned. I'm worried. Um, I, I think if you, if you manage it the right way, it can be really good uh, because you have to think of it as a, a giant – intake of oxygen before you turn the corner and, and make your final push here in the last uh, 30-something games and get yourself you know, really locked up in a playoff position. So it's all about the way you manage it, uh, all about the way you assess your game 
and, and how you come out of it. And that's why you have to do something during this break, uh, physically and mentally, to stay sharp. Listen, have some fun. Go stick your toes in the sand. In fact, have a couple of adult beverages and, and enjoy your family. But also, in the back of your mind, be thinking about what you're going to do when you come out of that break. And, and if the Penguins you know, lay an egg in the first seven or eight coming out of this break, they're going to be in a bad place come the uh, Eastern Conference and Metropolitan Division. I think they know that. I think they've been uh, through a, a bit of a meat grinder here in the last 40-plus games, and, and I think they're well aware what lies ahead for them uh, in, in coming out of this break, and they, and they better start stringing some wins together. Nine points separate first and last place in the Metro. Five points separate third and last. Yeah. Is any team in that division ever going to pull away or drop off the pace, in? Who are the likeliest candidates in each regard? Well, you can see the Washington Capitals going after that President's Trophy again. You know they love that, Mark. Um, I am concerned about the uh, New York Islanders uh, with their goaltending, and uh, I'm a little concerned also about the Carolina Hurricanes. As well as they played against the Penguins, they laid an egg against the Boston Bruins uh, in their last game, and I, I just don't think they can play Cam Ward in all those games, and he's taken over the number one spot there. You know, they have a young team. They have a they have a young team and a, and a skilled team and a fast team, but they've also got an inexperienced team that could easily fall off the map very quickly. And as you mentioned, with those numbers you just threw at me, that's one stretch of, what, six games where you go one in five, and uh, you could easily be double digits behind the, the second wild card spot. Borky, great stuff. Enjoy the break, and we'll see you at the rink at the weekend. All right, sounds good, Double M. I enjoyed it like always, and this was good hockey talk. That's Phil Bork, the old two nine. brought to you by Coors Light. Enjoy Coors Light bottles or drafts for just three dollars and twenty five cents during all Penguins games at one of my favorite hangs, the Pittsburgh Bottle Shop and Brew House in Collier Township. Uh, Phil also brought to you by Armstrong. One wire, infinite possibilities. I'm Mark Mann. We'll talk to Bob McLaughlin next on one zero five nine. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, I wanted to ask why my cat talks in her sleep. Cat's weird. One time my cat didn't eat for three weeks. I didn't feed her. The X at 105.9. Double M joined by Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought you by 84 Lumber. Bob, your thoughts on last night's uh, very entertaining 6-5 overtime win over the, the Boston Bruins at PPG Paints Arena. It wasn't the Penguins' best effort. But it was certainly their most entertaining. No, it definitely was their certain uh, their most entertaining. Mark, it had absolutely everything for the Penguin fan, uh, especially with what's going on right now with Pittsburgh and New England area. Uh, to go into the break with that win, the way it happened, for the crowd to get behind Murray instantaneously like that, uh, and for Sid to have that no look backhand off the board pass right to Gino, he buries it, and then Gino and uh, Phil Kessel playing tic tac toe to end it all. You could kind of see it coming in that overtime. It was just phenomenal. Do you see it as a uh, false dawn or as a legitimate uh, step towards running off a bunch of wins in a row? They have won three out of four now, Mm -hmm. including two in a row. But uh, we've seen a lot of promising nights uh, just kind of devolve back into same old Penguins. Not, 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 Not forgetting what they did the last two years, but same old as in earlier this season. Yeah, I like the false dawn descriptor because it has been very valid the last couple of weeks, you know, actually all through this season. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to say it's that 
And I don't know if I'm ready to say that it's going to lead to something huge, but it, I think it does show some good signs. Uh, you've talked about getting the big guys going. Again, the big guys have been going the last couple of games, specifically the last two. Um, I think that they can put it together. Borky had some concerns about that long of a layoff and coming back with an afternoon game on Saturday. I can understand that, but it looks like the Pens have all the signs of making another run. I don't know if it's going to be a, a six to eight game win streak, or maybe they add just two or three more to this one. But things are looking up, and they do have. I, I think they have a good outlook on chasing down some of these teams in front of them and getting a nice, solid playoff position, not top of the you know division or something, but just you know maybe third, fourth place. Well, I think it's important to get. Uh... Something besides a wild card. Sure, yeah. Because, well, no, it, it depends, Bob. I'm going to actually uh, retract that because I was going to say if you don't, if if you do get one of the wild cards, you're playing either Washington or Tampa Bay, who who to me are the two best teams in the Eastern Conference so far this campaign, especially Tampa Bay. But then again, when you've played as many games as the Penguins have uh, over the last two seasons, why not play the best team early? Because if you can't beat them. You weren't going to win the Stanley Cup anyway, so just get some rest looking forward to the next season. Yeah, I'll absolutely agree with that. Uh, you know, that would be the way to go if it works out. Uh, I have no problems facing Washington no matter where they're at, no matter where the Penguins are at, just because of, you know, the history and the way that the Penguins get up for that series. I do have, I'm sure everybody that follows hockey would have a question about the Penguins and the Lightning right now. They just look fantastic. Kucherov is just unbelievable. Uh, they've really got it going down there, so... Like I said, Mark, just a mini little run here, maybe three, four games, maybe five games in a row with points. You don't have to win every one, but you get points out of those five, and all of a sudden you're, you're making hay. So uh, the Penguins certainly have the talent to do it, and if Matt Murray is feeling as good as he can and playing as well as he can and he's got the crowd behind him, all good signs. Bob, earlier I talked about uh, how Pittsburgh will scare itself to death about Jacksonville. <laughs> between now and Sunday. What about Jacksonville legitimately scares you? What about the Jags leads you to believe they could beat the Steelers in a playoff game? Solid defense. As solid as you can get, as you and Matt Williamson talked about. I would narrow that down further. Secondary. I I think the fact that a guy like Jalen Ramsey could uh, quite possibly mark Antonio Brown out of the game through man-to-man coverage. I mean, we're not talking that that, that that it's like a 10 uh, a one in ten chance. It's like a fifty-fifty chance that he can do a number on Brown. He can do a number on him. I don't know though, Mark, if he can take him out. You know, all the way. Well, like even if he him... did take him out close to all the way, all it would take are one or two big catches to to really get the Steelers what they need out of Antonio Brown on the day. If Lev Bell can do what he is expected to do, totally agree with you on that. It's, couldn't have put it any better. And plus. You've now got a Juju Smith-Schuster who is really stepping into his own and just building confidence on confidence every single game. Martavis Bryant actually looks like he's engaged now. Uh, he could be a weapon. One or two plays, Mark, you high point the ball. He goes up and gets it. That's 30, 40 yards, and he's a yards-after-catch guy when he seems engaged. So um, if if Matt Williamson is right and they're going to take Bell away and they're going to rely on one-to-one uh, man-to-man coverage mostly with those three receivers, I don't think there's any way you shut down Ben and those three guys for an entire game. Uh, I like the Steelers. That's Bob McLaughlin. He's brought to you by 84 Lumber. Up next, going to talk about this jerk, this kid, this punk, this brat that threw his silver medal in the stands 
after Sweden lost in the final at the World Junior Hockey Championships. 105.9 X.